Luke, in our reading that we have just heard, tells us about two people. He tells us about John the Baptist and about Jesus. And I think of that amazing painting as you go into the Tretyakov uh, of Ivanov, of John the Jesus appearing to the multitudes. Is that up there? Just checking that's up there. That's up there. there is John. He is the preacher. He baptizes with water. I would say he offers good intention Christianity. And there is Jesus. Jesus is, as we heard in our reading, the beloved Son of God. He baptizes with fire. And Jesus offers us the Holy Spirit Christianity. So we look at John. John is the preacher and he gives the people hope and he inspires them to make a new start in life. He gives people hope. I love, I love two of the figures here. First of all, there's the figure of, that, of the slave who, who's there dressed in blue, just looking with delight at John. And then behind him, there is the old man being helped up. You know, John has spoken of Jesus. And the old man is being lifted up and there is this absolute of absolute delight on his face. In the previous verses, which we haven't read today, um, by the way, this is permission to you to bring your mobile phone to church or to take it out. Put it onto airplane mode so that you're not distracted by messages or other things because then you can turn to the Bible and actually look through the passage. I mean, if you still use paper, pen and books, those old things called books, it's probably even better to bring a Bible along with you and then you can sort of see, see what's happening and see how the passage we've just read fits in with, with, the, with, with the sort of whole section. But, but in those verses before that we um, are reading today, John appears in the wilderness. He announces that the kingdom of God is coming, the rule of God is coming, the Messiah is coming. This is what people have been waiting for, for years, for centuries, for the coming of the Messiah. And John challenges the people. He rebukes them because they have forgotten God. They've forgotten God's promises. They've lived without God. And John warns the people, the Messiah is coming and that when Messiah comes, he will bring God's judgment with him. He will separate people. He will gather those who are for him. We had that lovely reading, that first reading from Isaiah that Nicolette read, which speaks about how God will bring your sons and your daughters, will bring them together. He gathers those who are for him and he will cast away those who reject him. So John, wild, ascetic, 
wilderness John calls the people to repent, to remember God and to turn back to God. And very specifically in the previous verses, he's called them, first of all, to be generous and share what they have, whether food or clothing, and talk specifically about coats. This caught me out the other day or a couple of months ago. We get quite a number of people calling at the parsonage asking for food or clothing. And usually we do have sort of some clothes or some coats we can give him. But on this occasion, uh, I didn't have any spare coats. But the man said, sort of standing by the door and looking at all our coats just opposite, he said, what about one of those? He said, I'll take one of those. And I thought, but they're my coats. And then I thought, maybe, Malcolm, but you've got more than one coat there. Um, I have to say, I didn't give it to him, but uh, uh, I did feel slightly, mildly challenged. And very specifically, John calls them to respect other people, not to use their power to exploit, abuse, or force others to do what they don't want to do. I guess that is what he's saying when he tells tax collectors and soldiers not to exploit their authority. And thirdly, he tells them to be content with what we have. He says to the soldiers, be satisfied with your wages. Three pretty solid values, generosity, respect for the other person, and to be content, to be at peace with who you are and what you have. Three kingdom qualities. And so John invites those who wish to make a new start to mark that new start by baptism, to be symbolically washed in water as a sign that they are washing away the old life. And the people are filled with expectation. Messiah, God's King, God's Saviour is coming. God's kingdom will be established. What the prophets declared all those years ago is now coming true. And they're inspired. They say, yes, we want to be in on this. We are going to turn our lives around. We're going to live right. We're going to do right so that we're ready for Messiah and his kingdom. And we want to be baptised. We want to be washed clean. I guess many of us are there. We've heard the message. We've been inspired. There is a God. Yes, there really is. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. His word matters. How we live matters. There is, his kingdom is coming. There is a judgment. There is hell. There is heaven. And we've said, yes, we want to be in on this. I want to be on God's side. And maybe we've said, I'll be baptized or I'll be confirmed and I'll live for God. I'll pray. I'll read the Bible. I'll come to church. I'll change the way I'm living. I'll be a better person. I'll be more generous. I'll respect all people. I'll be content with what I have. That's fantastic. But it's not enough. The problem is that we are trying to live the Christian life in our own strength. And while we may start off okay, other things will come in and they'll pull us away. 
I call this New Year's resolution religion. I don't know whether it's true here. Uh, certainly in the UK, there's quite a tradition of people making New Year's resolutions. Is it true here? Is it not, not quite? Very wise, if I, you don't mind me saying. <laughs> Every Monday, with every Monday, with a new, with a resolution. Well, that's well. I don't know whether that's better or worse, actually, because the problem with New Year's resolutions, you know, is you know, this year I'm going to do morning exercises. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to cut down on the alcohol. Get to bed earlier so I can get up earlier so I have time to pray. I don't know. Become vegetarian recycle or whatever and it works for the first day it works the second day it works the third day it works and then the fourth day oh my word it's so dark it's so cold and the bed is so attractive i think i'll just stay a little bit longer in bed soon nothing has changed john knew that what he was offering was good but he also knew that it was not enough. That was why when they asked him, are you the Messiah? He laughed. What a joke. Don't confuse me with the Messiah, he said. I'm nothing in comparison to him. He's the creator. I'm part of creation. He's the king. I'm not even worthy to be his slave. He's the owner of the whole show, says John. I'm just the bloke on the street handing out the leaflets. And don't confuse, he says, what I am doing with what Messiah will do. I baptize with water. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And he points us to the other person in our painting. He points us at Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, you see, offers us Holy Spirit Christianity. It's both the same that John offers, but also radically different. Whereas what John offers is dependent on us making the supreme effort. I will do better. What Jesus offers depends on us completely letting go. It depends on us recognizing that I cannot do what God wants me to do. And so I simply have to throw myself on him and on his mercy and on his power. I realize that I cannot rely on myself, on my inner strength, on my education, my gifts, my achievements or my good intentions. I realize that I need God to come and live in me, to give me the desire and the strength to live for God. It means that I realize I need the Spirit of God to come and live in me. Forgive me if you've heard me use this illustration before, but, but I find it's quite helpful. Imagine that you would love to play hockey like Alexander Ovechkin. You'd love to be able to play like him. You read all about him. You watch his performances. You follow his training program. 
You practice for as long as his, he practices. And then you meet him. You spend time with him. You get to know him. And on one occasion, he even allows you to wear his skates. And you go out there and you say, I've done all of this and I'm wearing uh, Alexander Vyechkin's uh, boots, uh, ski, uh, skates. Look at me, I will play hockey like him. It won't work. <laughs> but what if he said, I will take my spirit and put it in you? Ah, now then, then we're talking something different. And it's the same way, it's only when we begin to allow Jesus to take his spirit, because he can, and put it in us, that we can begin to live like Jesus. But there's more than that. The Holy Spirit does not simply come into us and change how we live and what we do. Holy Spirit works at an even deeper level and more significant than that. He changes who we are. He makes us a new person. Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit of adoption. Holy Spirit draws us into the family of God. Because of Holy Spirit, we can call God Father. And if Spirit of God is in us, Spirit of God is in us. There is a link, a connection between God and us. What God desires, we begin to desire. What God sees, we begin to see. We begin to hate what God hates and to delight in those things that God delights in. And if we are baptised in the Spirit, if the Spirit of Jesus lives in us, then God looks at us. And if we're his beloved Son, Jesus, uh, and, and, and God looks at us, forgive me, as if we are his beloved Son. He looks at us as if we are Jesus, with whom he is well pleased. So Jesus comes. He comes to do all these terrifying things that John says that he will do, baptising with the Holy Spirit and with fire, separating the wheat from the chaff. But he doesn't do that by standing over us and forcing us. He doesn't do that with the gun, if you like. He comes instead as one of us. He gives himself in total generosity to us. He doesn't use his poor power to force us to follow him. He respects us and he is at peace with himself and with his God. He empties himself of his divine power and he identifies himself with us. John White, a Christian author, tells a rather uncomfortable story of his days as a medical student. For one of his classes, he missed a practical session about treating people who had venereal disease, and he had to make it up at the university clinic. When he arrived at the clinic, he found himself standing in a line with patients 
who had actually contracted venereal disease. This was a bit embarrassing for him. White barged up to the front and told the head nurse, I need to see the doctor. That's what everybody says, snorted the nurse. Now get back in line. But I'm a medical student, White said. Big deal, said the nurse. You got it the same way as everybody else. Now you stand in line like everybody else. White writes, in the end, I managed to explain to her why I was there, that I was there to help treat people. But I can still feel the sense of shame that made me balk at standing in line with the men who actually had a venereal disease. Jesus, even though he is sinless, joins the line. I think Ivanov's got that. Jesus seems to be coming, but he's coming to join the end of the line. You see, he's coming to identify himself with us, even though he who was sinless identifies himself and stands in line with us who are sinners. He identifies himself with us with our intention to live for God and he receives John's baptism and it is only then, only then that he is shown and declared to be the Son of God. And it's when we are prepared in turn to humble ourselves and come to him, recognise our brokenness, brokenness and our inability to live good intention Christianity, that we can ask him to give us his spirit so that we might become like him. And I guess that is how Jesus separates the wheat from the chaff. He comes to us. And there are those who recognise their need for him, their inability to live good intention Christianity and ask him to give them Holy Spirit. And there are those who, for whatever reason, choose to reject him. Again, I think Ivanov has got that. Look at the faces of some of the people who are there. They've already chosen to reject him. In our reading from Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans have heard the preaching of Philip and they've decided to follow Jesus. They're baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's good intention, Christianity. But it only becomes life-changing when Peter and John, the representatives of the wider church, come to Samaria, pray for them and lay their hands on them because that is when they receive the Holy Spirit. And for you and for me, we need to recognise that even with our goal, our good intentions, we'll never be able to live a Christian life. We need more than John. We need the one to whom John points, Jesus. We need baptism in water, and we need the Holy Spirit. And Luke writes later on, all we need to do is ask God for Holy Spirit. Ask God to give his spirit to come into us, to change us and make us new people. And I'm going to finish in a different way today. 
I'm going to finish by inviting you to stand and I'm going to simply ask that God will send us his Holy Spirit. We'll stand in silence for a few moments and maybe you might want to put your hands out and just say, God, please, I want to receive your Holy Spirit because I've tried to live for you on my own and I can't. So we pray, Father, would you please send us your Holy Spirit? Would you baptise us with your Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you come and fill our hearts because we need you.